Hey, hey, mic check, one, two, one, two. How have you been? How are you? Uh, it feels like it's been a month of Sundays since I talked to you. Um, I've missed you. I've definitely, definitely missed you. In the month of August, I was doing a lot of traveling. A lot of things were happening. And I decided that I needed to take a break. And sometimes breaks are necessary. Sometimes you have to recognize when your best cannot be the full 100% capacity. And I recognize that if I wanted to do certain things well this summer, other things had to take a back seat. And one of the things that took a back seat for the whole summer was um, something that I hold near and dear to my heart, something that I have enjoyed uh, for the last three years. It's something that has made my Sundays um, much better. I had this idea years ago to create a book club that was focused on queer men of color, where we would meet to discuss various books or uh, different entertainment mediums that focused on queer men of color or written by queer men of color and really wanted to touch on different cultures all around the world. It was wonderful. People would come to my apartment in Washington Heights. We would have wine, we would have cheese, we would have fruit. We would have just wonderful conversations. Then when the pandemic happened, it became virtual, which was also a great thing because we were able to expand it beyond just New York City. We have members from different parts of the country, you know, Phoenix, Washington, D.C. Um, now I'm in Oakland. It, it has really been a wonderful exploration to see what's out there. I took a class in college. It was the most boring class I've ever taken in my whole entire life. I was in um, the honors program at NYU. And for my freshman year, we had to take an honors seminar. I was late registering. So by the time I registered for a class, the only seminar available was Intro to Reader Theory. Now, the class was as exciting as the title would suggest. This class met once a week for two hours and 40 minutes in like the basement of a building. Um, there were no windows. There was one table. There was about 12 of us sitting around the table, and our professor had to be in his 80s. It was the year 2000, so I'm sure he has now passed away. May you rest in peace. It was the most boring class that I've ever had in my whole entire life. I would get there and I would fall asleep every single week. And I would do everything in my power not to fall asleep. There's days when I came in with donuts and frappuccinos with extra caramel, extra sugar, just to keep me awake. And I would find myself falling asleep five minutes after I consumed all of those things within the first 10 minutes of the class. This class really focused on the different roles in which we play as readers. Some people approach reading as they just want to read the story. They don't want to. They don't want to um, think about the author. They don't put the author in context to what they're reading. They just read the story for the story's sake. There's other people who they need to research the author. They need to like the author. They need to know the perspective 
of where the author is coming from before they can actually enjoy the story. There are people who they read certain books and they have a red pen and they're looking for grammatical mistakes, et cetera. So there's different roles that we take as readers. I was 18. I was like, oh, this is so boring. But as I've gotten older, and especially now with this book club, I've used what I learned in that class. It's really stuck with me. And, you know, leading this book club or being a member of the book club, when I now approach reading, I'm approaching it as this isn't just me reading for entertainment. This is me reading to moderate or facilitate a conversation. I look deeper into characters. I look up the author. I, I look up their age, their background. I try to piece together how they've come to this point of writing this particular story, whether it's a memoir, whether it's a fiction, etc. And um, it has really been a beautiful experience, um, especially having a group of people, and there's about eight of us, and seeing how they come to the story and how they come to uh, their perspectives about the book, about the author, uh, how it made them feel, how it didn't make them feel. And we've had really good conversations. I've been thinking about that a lot. It made me think of this conversation that I had with two members of my book club, um, one being Ray. Uh, you heard Ray in the conversation titled uh, Y Tu Tambien. And my friend Dante, months ago, we had a conversation about discussing our favorite books. And it's interesting because our favorite books really do highlight a part of our personality. And it makes sense. One of the things that I ask when I'm on dates or when I meet new people is like, what is your favorite book? For me, it allows me to get to know someone, like get to know like what they like spending their quiet time with. You know, reading takes a lot of attention, attention oftentimes that we don't have because we're so used to this TikTok world. We're so used to instant gratification. We're used to just always being connected to something and someone. But reading a book really does require you to block out a lot of things. It requires you to put your phone down and it requires you to just focus on what you're reading. And it, it it says a lot about a person. So I wanted to have this conversation because I realized that I had never asked the people in my book club what their favorite book was and why. And so this is a really great discussion. I know some of you may be like, oh, this is boring. I don't like reading. I don't want to hear about someone's favorite books. But I think you will really enjoy this conversation. I am going to go and I'm going to listen to this conversation to get me back into that world of reading and um, that world of exploration and imagination. So let me find the tape and I'm going to listen to the conversation uh, with you and then I will be back. Um, yeah, here's the tape. What's your connection with literature? Um, like, how long have you been a fan of reading? Um, well, for me, um, I didn't really have a lot of social interaction with people when I was younger because I was painfully shy. Um, so a lot of times I would spend um, my time reading. That was my activity that I would do. And I would just like create worlds around myself. I would say around seven or eight is when I really start like really delving into books. Around the time that I attended my first Scholastic Book Fair, 
and fell in love from there. Where did you grow up? Um, um, Dallas, Texas. Dallas. Were there bookmobiles that came to your school? Oh, or No, we had, we just had like, they cleared out a, an entire classroom and they had like rows and rows of books and, um, and we would like fill out their little catalogs and stuff like that, but we didn't have a bookmobile. We had that in Kansas. We had the Scholastic Book Fair, mm-hmm. but there was also these things called like bookmobiles where it, they would take this small yellow bus <laughs> and oftentimes they would just have it full of books. And so the bookmobile would come and, and sit outside of the school. And that was another opportunity for you to, to get books and read as a child. Oh, that sounds yeah. beautiful, actually. What about you, Ray? I don't recall when I first started reading, but I know I, I was reading um, from a young age. And uh, for similar reasons, I was a shy kid, um, kept to myself a lot, um, was always in my head. The books offered an escape. And similarly, the the Scholastic Book Fair was my favorite. Um, one of my favorite times, you know, meticulously go to the catalog, see what I wanted. It was usually the Guinness Book of World Records. I was, I was really fond of nonfiction books. So um, more so than fiction when I was younger, I just wanted to learn facts and figures about the world, specifically in the science realm, if you will. The first genres that I was into um, fiction-wise, and probably that I'm still into, was science fiction. Um, So I read a lot up and through until I started working in the book industry, and then I stopped reading. (laughs) For some reason, it was a terrible thing. And not until this book club have I really started reading again on a regular basis. So, you know, thank you for that. Um, It's really brought me back. What age was that that you got really into the Scholastic Fair and and the books? Seven, eight, nine, Mm -hmm. ten. All those all those years. For me, my father loved reading. My mother, not so much, but my father, you know, loved reading. My father could read like a book a day. He would take in everything he read. He would remember everything. And, and he was constantly pushing books. And I was just like, I'm good. When I was young, my grandparents always had uh, pictures and books about, you know, African-American history. And so everything I read was more geared towards Blackness. Um, I remember... Uh, um, what was it? Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. I also remember this book called Thank You, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that I read like five or six times. Um, and those were like the earliest books I remember reading. And then I was in like sixth grade and my father called the bathroom the library. You know, my father would go into the bathroom. He would spend about like an hour in the bathroom smoking like a couple of cigarettes and he would always have books on the back of the the toilet. So that's why it was the library. One day I was having a particular uh, rough time. So I was like, well, I'm going to be here for a while. Um, I I picked up the book that was on the the back of the, the toilet. So like I said, I was like, fifth grade, sixth grade, maybe. So, you know, uh, 10 or 11. And I picked up Ruby by V.C. Andrews. V.C. Andrews should not be any child literature, but I was so engrossed in this, like, soap opera of Ruby. Um, And at this time, I was also interested in watching Days of Our Lives. So it hooked me. And I read, when I tell you, I just went through all of V.C. Andrews. I could actually be like, ooh, that bitch. That's what really got me into into reading. When I moved to Minnesota in seventh grade, I made it a habit and a point 
to um, read Alex Haley's Queen because I mm. just saw the the miniseries on television. Shout out to Halle Berry. Also, that was the year that I read House on Mango Street. So yeah, so I think I gravitated towards uh, fiction. It made me start reading all of these um, Black authors. I was reading, you know, Ralph Ellison and and Langston Hughes and Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in ninth grade, you know, we all had to read Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Uh-huh. I hated it. Um, <laughs> but then we also had to read Jurassic Park. I remember coming to college and not reading like The Great Gatsby, you know, uh, Great Expectations, Tale of Two Cities, War and Peace. Yeah. But I read uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> you read Jurassic Park in school? Like yeah, book? ninth grade. On, in ninth grade in Fridley, Minnesota, uh, oh, wow. Miss Sweeney taught Jurassic Park. Like, who huh. would think that Jurassic Park was some, you know, literary work that needed to be studied? Well, 100 years from now, it'll be in the top 100 literary works, <laughs> according, <laughs> according to Miss Sweeney. <laughs> according to you, would it be in the top 100, Ray? Oh, probably not. No, but it's a good read. It's a good movie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually when the movie is better than the book, <laughs> in my opinion. As both of you were, you know, entering into these worlds and uh, both of you said that it was a way to sort of be in your thoughts and be in yourself. What about reading beyond that fascinated you? What type of stories fascinated you um, besides, you know, who grew the longest fingernails um, in the Guinness Book of World Records? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the funny thing is, like, I never actually read the Guinness Book of World Records. I just like having the book because Mm. there was a new one every year. So I needed to have the new one every year. But I opened that thing up like once or twice and then it just went on the shelf. But I needed to have the new edition every year. I don't know why uh, I needed that. It was just to put on the shelf and and just know that I have it. And in case I ever needed to look up who had the longest fingernail in 1985 or 86 or whatever, I could look it up. Um, But now we have Google. I wonder how they're doing, Guinness. Do they publish anything anymore? I was today years old when I found out that the Guinness Book of World Records, the name Guinness is from the drink Guinness. I, and, I, and people are like, oh, duh. But it's like, well, no. Like, I would, why would I think that this Irish brewery is also putting their name to a list of world records? Yeah, I definitely did not know that until I encountered Guinness as a beer for the first time. And I didn't make that connection. I think I read it somewhere. But yeah. Um, I literally just found out today. So thank you. Are there shows now that promote reading the way reading was promoted when we were growing up? That's a great question. I mean, I remember the the whole Pizza Hut thing. Um, mm, book it, yes. Book it. Um, I don't know. What are the literacy programs now for kids? I mean, I feel like any kid coming up now is just put in front of YouTube. Uh, and then that sort of becomes with the subtitles. Or direct it to Wikipedia, where anyone can edit, mm-hmm. right? Like, we yeah. had the Encyclopedia Britannica. I know you had some sense. <laughs> if, you had, if, you were, if you were keeping a rolling count of Guinness, I know you had some encyclopedias. 
<laughs> I think it was blue, the blue one. Can you remember do, having to research and and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and work cited and bibliographies and actually having to go to the library and get books to do research, learning about the Dewey Decimal System? Do they even mm-hmm. teach people about the Dewey Decimal System? I don't, right I don't think they do. I don't think they do. But actually, I sadly kind of miss it a little bit. Like like the, the tactile feel of like going to a library and like like having to actually like look this thing up. I kind of miss that at times. I don't see reading um, as something, as an activity that is advertised or, or pushed, especially onto kids. I just don't see publicly an advertising or a push or a campaign to get kids reading. It's true, but I, I wonder if that's just because we're adults um, and and we don't notice it. Because um, I do know that the company itself, and just for clarification, I work in the children's publishing business, and they do a lot of uh, advertisements and reach out to to stakeholders. And I just wonder if we're just not in those streams. Everything can be so targeted now. Um, I do know for the YA young adult market, um, TikTok is a major uh, avenue for marketing. Um, to the point there's this book talk um, where there are just these influencers talking about books. And if you get on one of those influencers, it really helps out. Um, the book goes on sale. I don't recall or, or see anything targeted like the Book It or um, similar programs or, you know, Reading Rainbow. Um, but I'm sure they exist. They have to exist, right? They're existing, but what is being allowed into these schools as the available literature? I feel like we had more access to different mm-hmm. types of books in the library that they don't have access to now. And that could be because of the internet. Schools are hearing things about books before reading them on their own, that things are getting banned. And I do feel like as, as modern as this country is becoming, we're also regressing in a lot of ways conservatively, especially the the, the information um, mm-hmm. that is quickly accessible. I was reading um, like Stephen King and and stuff like that when I was like in sixth grade. And, and I got that book from my school library. It was a shining. I had to stop reading it at one point because it got too scary. <laughs> <laughs> I never understood a book that was scary. You can always just turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it gets in your imagination. And so then your, your imagination makes it way more scary than anything else could happen. So it's like, even if you t- turn the page, the danger is still there. What was your your sort of trajectory? I alluded to it earlier. It was science fiction, and I kind of stuck with it, um, mostly through all my reading growing up. I mean, I'm sure I did read other things, but the thing that sticks out is reading science fiction. Um, but more than that is reading science magazines. So, you know, Scientific mm. American, um, Omni. I don't know if Omni is still around anymore. Wired Magazine. Um, the other science one. Popular Mechanics, Popular Science, that's the other science one. Um, so it was a lot of, again, nonfiction, sort of like how do things work, talking about the world. Uh, and then when I would read like fiction, it would usually be science fiction. Um, Isaac Asimov was one of the biggest ones that I would read often. I started with like the usual kids fiction stuff. And then I moved into a horror like R.L. Stein and Stephen King and all that stuff. Then I had a brief period where I went into like the trashy direction. So, you know, like Sister Soldier, Eric Jerome Dickies and all this other stuff. Like I, I went I went there, I was reading that because my grandmother, that's what she read. So I was like, oh, I'll just borrow a book. They were basically like ro- romance novels, but not quite. They were like, it wasn't solely fixated on the, ro- on the romance. Another thing that was on a lot of uh, Black women shows, um, especially my aunts, 
Terry McMillan. So mm-hmm. I read Waiting to Exhale. I read Mama, How Stella Got a Groove Back. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely Terry McMillan. Um, for a period of time, um, especially like in the early to mid-90s, even though um, it was weird that straight people were reading it, but um, Elian Harris. Oof. Rest in peace, <laughs> but child. Them books were a mess. I realized I was um, done reading him when it was, I think it was the story that focused on Basil. I, All the stories end up focusing on Basil Henderson. They do. But yeah. it was like, it was him and his, and he was with this one woman, but they had a, part of the book was was a vibe confidential column that was like a gossip column that was in the middle of the book. And I was just like, and I was just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I didn't read him until college. Mm. Um, I didn't read any gay anything um, until I was introduced to to my favorite book. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So, so let's talk about our favorite books. There was this class at my school. Um, I went to Fridley High School, which is very diverse now, but back then it, it was not at all. Um, and we had a teacher, Mr. Dave Liu, L-O-O. And he, I think he was half white, half Chinese. I say that to say, um, because he was, all of my teachers were white up until that point. And so there was something just different about him. And he was a tennis coach and he also taught um, American literature at the high school. It was a small high school. We only had like 700 kids. During my junior year, they introduced a course called Intro to Modern Fiction. Um, and if you took this class and, and, and got a certain grade, like you would get college credit. My, my high school did not have AP courses at the time. Um, so this was like a post-secondary uh, option to gain college credit. And he, he championed it that he wanted to do more like contemporary, like modern, modern literature. So <clears throat> it was my senior year, 17. And I think it was like two weeks before the new... Uh, quarter was starting and he calls me into his his classroom. He's like, Mr. Austin, are you enrolled in my next quarter's intro to modern fiction? And I was like, yes, I'm, I'm enrolled. You know, I'll see you there, Mr. Lou. He's like, good, good. Nodding his head. He had his glasses, hair all messed up. He's like, with your permission, uh, I want to teach you a book. And I've always wanted to teach this book. Um, ever since I read this book, I've always wanted to teach it. And I've never had the opportunity to teach it. And I never, I've never encountered um, a student that I think would need this book taught until I saw you. And I hope I'm not being disrespectful and I hope I'm not overstepping, but I'm going to, I want to teach you a book. If you say yes, if you, if you allow me, that will probably get me fired, but I think it is an important book for you to learn and be taught. I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like I'm, I'm down to read it, you know? And that is when I was introduced to James Baldwin and the book that he, that he taught, um, it was Giovanni's Room. Just to give you the landscape of this class, there's all white people. There was me, the black gay kid. It was very, very conservative, very, you know, blue collar, white. Um, and he's teaching this gay love story 
written by a black gay man. I, at this point, I'd never heard of James Baldwin. And um, this book, it's the most beautiful love story I've ever, I've ever read. Um, it, it centers around um, a white American man named David living in 1950s Paris. And he struggles with his sexuality. He, he plays with uh, the affections of men, but he meets this man named Giovanni. And it is a beautiful and tragic exploration on identity, letting your guard down, being open, being vulnerable, and the consequence of being exploited and not seen, um, and the consequence of not dealing with your past and not being able to handle the thoughts of your present. Um, and it, it, this book is... <sighs> was the first time I felt like a teacher was actually teaching me and talking to me. Um, and it remains the only book that has ever, you know, uh, consistently made me cry. I read this book every single year. Uh, I have probably like five copies somewhere in my house because if I can't find it within an hour of me looking, I just order another one or, or buy it. I, I have this old copy in front of me right now. Um, it has my favorite quote uh, of all time. The quote is, people are too various to be treated so lightly. Um, and then the sentence right after it is, I am too various to be trusted. Um, and it's it's funny, the first the first time I read the book, I underlined the I am too various to be trusted. And as I've grown, it's the people are too various to be treated so lightly that has stuck with me. And that is how I, I approach people, you know, because for me, that means you can't just dismiss someone because they seem flighty, because you don't know the other parts of themselves when they're not around you or, or that they show privately. I wish I could go back and, and tell, you know, Mr. Lou, I don't even know if he's alive, but that changed, that changed my life. Since then, I read every single thing <laughs> from James Baldwin. People know I am obsessed with James Baldwin. I don't feel as connected to any author the way I feel connected to James Baldwin. Yeah, so that's how I came to my my favorite book. Ray, what about you? What is what is your favorite book? How did you come to it? Well, surprise, surprise, it's science fiction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't recall when I picked this up, but I know there was a span of time when I was in Florida uh, where I went to elementary school. Um, in our third house um, in Florida, Lake Lake Worth, um, where I was reading a lot of Isaac Asimov. Um, uh, I think I started with Foundation, the Foundation series, which is now on Apple TV. Haven't watched it, um, but that sort of like introduced me to uh, Asimov. Um, and a lot of his early books were really anthologies of short stories that were published in various um, uh, magazines. Um, and then they were just, you know, grouped together. Um, and my selection was I, Robot, which is a, a series of short stories centered around a robo-psychologist named Susan Calvin. Um, and basically each one 
tells the story of a robot gone mad or malfunction in some way and trying to figure out why the robot is acting in the way it's acting. If you're not aware, um, a lot of the stories are based on the idea of the three laws of robotics, um, which is just a way of making sure that robots don't take over humans um, and take over the world and destroy us. Um, it, and it's how do these three laws interact with the real world and how, how do humans interact with robots and how do we interact with each other? Um, and, you know, the reason I love these stories and just science fiction in general is because I'm always fascinated by how the future and how humanity is going to evolve and progress and how are we going to um, deal with progress, um, technological progress, which appears to be coming faster and faster every year. Um, and it's just interesting for me to see people work out how to deal with that. Um, so I, I haven't read this book in quite some time, and I've been reading it. Not the best literature in the world, but it, it's still delightful, especially since it was written um, in the 50s. So it is mm -hmm. interesting how they, um, how I think 2020 was like the beginning of that space age there. So they already had <laughs> AI robots, you know, flying and going to different planets. And I was like, oh, how quaint, how beautiful. Um, <laughs> the but, ambition. They thought the amb that we were really... <laughs> so ambitious. Um, but at the same time, you know, we are in a world where we do have some forms of AI, where, you know, the idea of having a robot or, you know, a, an AI that may seem to us to be lifelike, um, I feel is like not too far away. So no. a lot of these considerations and implications of sentient robots um, feel more and more uh, possible. And then I just started, what else did Isaac Asimov write? How, oh, robots. I love robots. Let me read into this. You know, because I was watching Star Trek. I love all the science fiction on TV. So anything that had to do with robots, I wanted to read about. And that particular story, that particular book just stuck with you as your, that's your absolute favorite. Uh, not my absolute favorite. I don't think I have an absolute favorite book, if I'm honest. Uh, I have mm. books that I enjoyed. Um, but I can't say that I have an absolute favorite book that I reread over and over again. If you were on a deserted island and could only take one book, what year of the Guinness Book of World Records would you take? <laughs> <laughs> would you take? 1985, definitely 1985. Uh, that was a good year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, would this be the book that you would take? This would be one considered to be taken to that desert island. <laughs> Oh, so if people don't know this by now, words mean things in, in all of my friendships. <laughs> <laughs> yes, reading this, it reminded me of how we are like that, words mean things, because the the behavior of the robots depends on how we talk to them and what we say exactly, and how those words interact with the programmed laws um, in their brains. So it, the entire time I was like, oh yeah, words mean things. Yes, the way you say things, the way how you say things, they matter. Dante, what is your favorite book? Uh, so um, my favorite book is 
hands down Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. Mm. Um, and it's because I um, I discovered it when I was like 14 because I had a really bad habit, a bad habit of going through people's bookshelves when I was younger, um, especially if I got bored and I was at their houses. My step-grandmother, uh, my dad's mother-in-law, um, I was at her house and she happened to um, have like this library. So she had like just random books, like she had Tambourines to Glory by Langston Hughes um, and like and some other things. But she had this really like, I want to say it was like a 1977 copy of Song of Solomon. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This look, looks interesting. Um, and so I like picked it up just to read it while I was like there because I was bored. I had this obsession um, when I was younger of, of about the myth of Icarus flying too close to the sun and his wings melted and, and he died tragically. I really loved that myth for some reason. And so just reading the first words of Song of Solomon where it's... Um, about the, the insurance agent who says he's going to fly. He wrote a note saying he's going to fly from Mercy to um, the other end of Lake Superior. And the minute I read that, I was like, oh, I'm hooked. I want to read this. I like this is <laughs> like this is going to be the book for me. I just started reading it. It was just like so amazingly written. Toni Morrison never, speaking of words mean things, she never chooses a word that is not important. I read it like once every few years, but every time I read this book, I, I pick up something else that I didn't notice before, or I see something else that I didn't notice before. She just paints this entire world of, uh, and of this entire time. And, and I just always related to so many of the characters. I wish I could meet them in real life. And, and this was mm-hmm. the, first, the first book where I really felt like that. Like, I want to meet these people in real life. Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, it's been my favorite book, hands down. We all seem to have found or come to our favorite books at an early age. Uh, me at 17, Dante, you at 14, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've read so many books since then. Um, why do you think that those books have stayed with you as your favorite through the years? Like it hasn't really been dethroned. Huh. That's a good question. Um, I think with me, it's the way that the picture of this was of, was painted. And also... Um, it's just like the story just has always stuck with me. It's always been um, like just this conflation of, of circumstances that leads to like this one unique life. And I've always felt in a way that my life is kind of like that. Like it's so many things happened and they all led to this one singular life for me. While that happens in other things, I just feel, I felt it. I think I just felt it so viscerally with this. At one point, I wanted to name my first son Macon, but I decided not to because every Macon in this book has a tragic story. So I was like, mm, yeah. that probably would not be the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because it was, it was one of the first books like that that really just struck a chord where I was, I always had that memory of the way I felt when I read it. I, I think um, part of it is nostalgia. Uh, definitely brings me back to when it was a bit more carefree uh, time and that I could just enjoy reading. Um, but I find that I'm always sort of always looking forward and into the future um, and sort of waiting when the robots do become um, a reality. So I'm studying um, and preparing myself uh, for, for that possible apocalypse. It just reminds me of the sort of hope and spirit of what old futurists had about the future. And at heart, I've remained an optimist of the future. You know, I, Star Trek, you know, lots of dialogue and uh, a great society in the future. Um, so I think part of it is that it just it reminds you of a time when there was this sort of hope and optimism for what technology could bring 
to humanity. You know, I'm always waiting for the Vulcans to land and then peace will prosper across the earth. So until that happens, I'll probably keep reading uh, the stories of old. I, I was thinking about this question. I reread this book and and each time I read it, um, I focus on a different character. I force myself to think about situations in a different way. Um, I force myself to connect to a different character. Like one time, you know, reading is I, I put myself in the place of Giovanni and another time I put myself in the place of David. Um, I put myself in the place of uh, David's um, fiance. I've read some amazing books and I've read some beautiful books, but uh, I have not read a book that still touches mm-hmm. all of my parts oh. the way, all Ooh. of my parts. When I read this book, I was like, now this is what we should read instead of Romeo and Juliet. If you want a tragic ending, if you want a a complicated love story, this is it. I would love for this book to be made into a movie. But in that same time, I do not want this book to be made into a movie because I saw If Bill Street Could Talk. And that's what I think about that uh, movie. (laughs) But I do think that everyone should read this book. Um, Do you feel that everyone should read your books? Oh, most definitely. I, um... Like you, sometimes I wish this could be made into a movie, but then again, you have the movie that they made with Beloved. And no, I think everyone should read this book, especially um, I feel like it kind of encapsulates a certain Black experience. And I feel like everybody should read something that encapsulates a culture or or a period of time that's outside of their own. Right. Well, um, obviously, because you need to prepare for the upcoming (laughs) robot apocalypse. With that being said, just FYI, Ray is in my apocalypse group. He, he's not hes not available to be lent out for this reason. You need people in your group that have different ministries to make the congregation a whole. Okay. Um, but uh, it, it was the basis for a lot of science fiction. So, I mean, if you like science fiction, Asimov influenced a lot of uh, later science fiction. Um, the Three Laws of Robotics are, you know, a trope that appears over and over again. Um in you know robot stories as even a historical artifact i think it's uh, a read um and you know if you'd like um puzzling out why a robot has gone haywire you know it, it's a it's a fun romp mm. okay all right well i will i will definitely check it out i've read song of solomon i have not read isaac asimov um but i will say because of you uh Ray, I have opened up uh, the different types of books that I've read. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to bring different types of books to our book club. Um, and so I, I thank you for that. I thank you also, uh, Dante, because your thoughts, we read similar books, but mm-hmm. you definitely come with a different perspective. Um, oftentimes I come with a very jaded, burn it all down. So... There you have it. That was the conversation. Um, That conversation went all over the place. You know, um, coming to that conversation, I really thought we were just going to be talking about our favorite books. But as you see, we talked about a lot of things dealing with books and literacy and society and, and what is being advertised. I really do hope that children are still being targeted for book reading. You know, we can't just have TikTok. We can't just have Snapchat, Instagram, things that are very quick. 
like I said earlier, there is something to be said about being able to block out the world sitting down and reading, whether it's on a Kindle, whether it's the physical book, whether it's reading on your laptop screen, something. There is something to be said about having that that time to just really immerse yourself in the story, in whatever you are reading, whether it's nonfiction, fiction, etc. And there's also something to be said about seeing oneself in the story. One of the reasons why I created the book club, this book club really is a safe space for queer men of color reading about themselves in literature, how society uh, is molding that perception. There's something to be said about seeing yourself in literature and, and in different ways, you know, not seeing yourself just as a tragic love story or the coming out stories, but just different stories that we live. People think talking about your favorite books or hearing someone talk about their favorite books is so boring, but it's like talking about your favorite song or your favorite movies or or your favorite memory. And I, I love that. It's actually something that I learned from my father. It connects me to other people. I love hearing everyone's favorite songs. Just like I love reading everyone's favorite book. I love getting to know people in my life in that way. So if you have a favorite book, share it with me, share it with your friends or pick up that book again and reread it because I bet you will see something that you didn't see the first time that you read it or the second time or the third time. After that conversation, I'm actually picking up Giovanni's Room again and I am I am reading it. I did not read it this summer as I normally do. So that's going to be my fall read. I'm very excited and I will see what I write in the margins this time. Until then, I'm just going to keep reading and keep exploring the different imaginations created. And that wraps up another episode of Adrian's Playlist of Conversations. Thank you so very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. If you didn't, please, you know, listen to another conversation. And if you don't like that conversation, listen to another conversation. I'm eventually going to say something that you like or enough that's going to interest you enough to listen. Again, I want to thank the conversationalists of today's episode for your time, your energy, your friendship, and your love, but especially your thoughts and your words. Like I always say, nobody makes it out of this world alive. We're just trying to do the best that we can do with what we have. So please protect your peace, protect your joy. Adrian's Playlist of Conversations is executive produced and edited by Johnny Ray Cornegay III and me, Adrian Austin. Logo and design done by LaToya LaFleur. Please make sure you follow all social medias. Adrian's Playlist of Conversations can be found on Instagram and on Twitter, both at Adrian's Playlist Podcast. Again, that is at Adrian's Playlist Podcast. Also, Make sure you subscribe to Adrian's Playlist of Conversations podcast wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a rating and a review. The default is currently five stars, so let's just go with that, okay? (laughs) We'll love to hear your comments and hear your feedback. Until next time, be safe.